Well, my message this morning, I must admit, has certainly been influenced by what's been going on in the last week or two around this nation and actually around the world. It's not just in this nation. We're seeing all the protesting and the rioting and all the damage that's being done and the anger being released and pain that's being suffered. The title of my message is, There is Only One Race, and it's the human race. Only one race, the human race. Now, my goal this morning, my desire this morning, isn't to give us all kinds of new insights into what's going on specifically. My goal isn't to address the reasons why, the causes of, necessarily. My goal isn't to explain why what would normally be peaceful people are reacting in such a way and demonstrating such anger, being so destructive. My goal certainly is not to justify in any way violence like we're seeing on television, destruction, lawlessness. That's certainly not my goal. My goal today is not to try to explain or even really to understand the, the deaths of unarmed men, specifically black men by police officers. My goal is not to debate the issue of systemic racism. Just so you know where I'm coming from. To me, when something is systemic, that means everything and everybody is included. I don't believe that for a moment. But at the same time, we need to understand as Christians and look at things with as much understanding as we can. And I believe we first need to look at it through what the Bible tells us. So this morning, I, if I have three goals, they would be this. First, I want to remind us that as Christians, we are called to live according to a biblical worldview. That's the mandate from God, to have a biblical worldview. Then I want us to look at, and maybe begin to understand a little bit greater way, where racism would fall in that biblical worldview. And thirdly, and maybe as important as the others, is how do we respond as Christians as we look at the world through a biblical worldview? Now, I've spoken on worldview and biblical worldview a number of times over the years, so I'm not going to belabor that point too much. But some of us may not be familiar with those terms. Some of us probably need to be reminded of those terms. So I want to start there. What is a biblical worldview? First of all, I want to start with what's a worldview? And the first definition I want to give you is simply one that's a philosophical definition. It simply states this, a worldview is a conceptual scheme by which we consciously or unconsciously interpret and judge reality. Everybody has a worldview, whether you know it or not. I have one, you have one. As Christians, it should be very, very similar if it's a biblical worldview. But the reality is, very often, maybe more often than not, we slide into our own worldview. A worldview that consciously or subconsciously influences the way we look at truth or what we perceive to be truth, look at reality. We all can have a different worldview. If we remove the Bible, we would certainly have a different worldview based on our culture that we live in, 
based on where we were raised, the family we were raised up in? I would, I would argue that you could have a different worldview depending on whether you watch CNN or Fox News. We can have different worldviews from a whole lot of different reasons, from a whole lot of different sources of information. And we kind of pick and choose or subconsciously it impacts us. And I think that's a key thing that we need to understand. Consciously or subconsciously, a worldview will impact and can impact the way that we think. And I think it's really important because of that to realize as individuals, me, you, or even corporately, for example, us as a church, we have blind spots in our lives that can impact our worldview. And when I say a blind spot, that means that I don't really even see it's there. And we all have them. Again, as I said, individually and even corporately, we can have those blind spots. And if we don't understand we have those blind spots, if we don't know they're there, we have problems. That is why we need an objective source of truth. The one that is beyond question. And for us as Christians, that should be the Word of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is our objective truth that we need to see through. That needs to be the lens that we look at the world and everything that's taking place in the world because it's the only real objective source of truth that we would have. So simply put, a worldview is simply the way that a human being looks at life the way you and I perceive things, worldview. Now, getting specific with the biblical worldview, already pretty much stated it, but it says it tells us that if we have a biblical worldview, we view life through that lens, the eyeglasses that we look at the world and everything that's taking place around us through God's Word. And we believe that the Bible is inspired by God. It's inerrant and infallible. It is our standard of truth. We can look at all things through what God reveals to us by His Word, by the Holy Spirit. question is then, do I have a biblical worldview? Do you have a biblical worldview? Now, as Christians... we would probably all like to say we certainly have a biblical worldview. I know I would like to say that. And I believe in many ways we do. But I also remember and remind myself that there's probably blind spots in my humanity and my human way of thinking. George Barna did a survey a number of years ago. Couldn't find a more recent one with the same questions. But it was about worldview, and specifically a biblical worldview. And he asked these questions of self-proclaimed Christians, Protestants. He also asked the questions of evangelicals, those that considered themselves evangelicals. And he asked of, of those who considered themselves and expressed themselves as born-again believers. I want to just share with you a few of the questions. See how we do. First question, 
Do absolute moral truths exist? What is an absolute moral truth? An absolute moral truth means it is true for all people, for all time, everywhere. Absolute moral truths. Boy, will you get a lot of argument about that. Second question. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Jesus might have did it in a short statement when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life, or was he just a good man? Did he truly live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule it today? Now, a lot of us as Christians hopefully are going, well, these are no-brainers. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Is there really a devil? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Now, I would like to think and I would hope that we wouldn't enter into a whole lot of debate on any of those questions. I would hope as Christians we all went through that list and it was yes, 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 all the way through. But the reality is this, when Barna did this survey, 9% of proclaimed born-again believers answered yes to all those questions. Not even one out of ten. That should startle us. Not even one out of ten proclaimed born-again believers could say yes to all those questions. It would be hard to expect Christians as a group to truly have a biblical worldview if they can't answer yes to all those questions. A biblical worldview. Second goal was to Look at racism, if we can, from a biblical perspective in the Bible. Now, when you talk about racism, it's like so many words. You know, you can say that word, and it seems like it can be all-encompassing. But it seems to me that there's layers to it, if you would. You know, when I think of sin, we have a, we're really good at Big sins, bad sins, little sins, not so bad sins, almost okay sins. Sin is sin. I guess racism is racism. But I think if you look at racism, three distinct levels. Those that hate people who are different than themselves just because of race. Now, I'm using the word race a lot in my message, even though I believe there's only one race according to the Scripture, biologically. Too spiritually. But I'm using that because it's a word that we use and we can understand we're talking about different groups of people. The most vile, the most vulgar, racism. We hate those people just because they're different and we consider them a different race than us. Second level is believing that one race is superior or inferior to another just because race. 
One race thinks they're better than the other just because we're of that race. And we could, we could go beyond what we normally consider race. We could say, you know, there was a time in this nation when, you know, the Germans and the Irish and the Italians, they didn't all get along that well. Matter of fact, you lived in different neighborhoods. You didn't marry across those lines. There was such a prejudice. This type of thing has been around forever. Believing that one is superior than the other just because of race. And the third level, and I would guess this is probably the most common form of racism, if you would. And that's just prejudice against another race. Prejudice against somebody because they're different. Again, whether it's racial or something else. I mean, shoot, when we were growing up in high school, there were certain towns around here we didn't think much of. Some of you are from those towns. (laughs) I've had to repent. Prejudices. Think of the word prejudice. The word pre, the, the first part of the word pre means kind of before. Just judgment, judge. Prejudice, judge. Prejudice, when we prejudge someone without having all the facts, without having all the understanding, a prejudice, very common. I wish it wasn't so common in my own life, as a matter of fact. I want to use a steel and illustration that was used by Pastor Robert Morris. I spent a lot of time this week listening to other messages, other sermons, reading a lot of different things that were being said, researching older articles. came across this, and I thought this was really good. Got a bottle of hand sanitizer. Now, some of you, I'm holding it right here for those online can see it better, but some of you in front, what's it, what do you see? What's it say on the front of that bottle? Hand sanitizer. Anything else that jumps out at you? VCC. You know, I look at that bottle, and I don't see any of that. I see drug facts, active ingredient, (laughs) ethyl alcohol, and a whole bunch of stuff I can't read at all. Yeah. But that's what I see. Now, I could stay here. And look at that bottle all day long, and I wouldn't know what you see. I wouldn't understand what you see. It's the same bottle, filled with the same stuff, but I see it different than you do. For me to understand what you see, I have to take the time to move around the front of that bottle, or because I'm lazy, turn it around. But I have to look at it so I can understand your perspective, what you see, where you're coming from. You know, when it comes to this racism thing, and I don't want to go down this rabbit trail very far, but I've come to the conclusion in my own life, there's a whole lot of things that I don't understand as a white man about a black man and what they think and understand. Or a Hispanic person. 
or a man from Nepal. I sat down with Robin down at Ballot One Stop to ask him if he's ever felt discriminated against, if he ever felt racism. I asked Ben Goodman, who's Jewish, and they can tell stories of racism directed at them just because they're a different race. When it comes to black and white, we live in the same nation, the same country, and I've discovered there's a lot of things I don't understand, and I need to learn to understand. Not to justify any particular type of behavior, bad or otherwise, but understand what's going on in their mind, in their heart, in their head. What are they thinking? Why are they thinking it? Racism in the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which man? Which woman? Adam and Eve. What color were they? I don't know for sure. Now, if we wanted to get into a genetics thing, most people that have studied this and researched this, including theologians, would say they were probably brown. And because of the genetics, they would be able to, with all of the alleles lining up correctly and all that stuff that I'm not going to get into, they could have very dark skin, black, they could have very white, and they could have a whole bunch of in-between. But irregardless of that, God created them all, and he created them in his image. Genetically. Genetically. All of us, black, white, red, brown, whatever color you can find of human being, we share 99.9% the same DNA. 99.9% the same. Line every color you can from every tribe, tongue, and nation across the front, 99.9. difference has been justification for all of the prejudices and all of the racism since Adam and Eve. And that 0.1% determines things like pigmentation, the color of a person's skin, color of their hair, color of eyes, shape of eyes. Yeah, they're significant, but in the big scheme of things, not that significant. God created them in His image. No matter what genetic traits we have and how they manifest in an individual, we are all of one race. We are all of the human race. 99.9%. When we look at people, no matter how different they are in appearance from you or me, tall, short, red hair, blonde hair, dark hair, brown hair, skin colors, shape of their eyes, They're all created in the image of God, part of the human race. Science affirms what the Bible has already taught, that we're all one race. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. Acts 17, verse 26. He, meaning Jesus, God, he made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. From one man, Adam, he created all mankind. And not only that, he determined when and where they would live. Whether they live here in the United States or they live in Russia or Lithuania or Ghana or wherever, it's all by God's design. All of us have a common ancestor. And because of that, we all have another issue that we have in common. It's called sin. And as long as there's sin in the world, there will be racism in the world. We are never going to eradicate it this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't make every effort. After the flood, you know, mankind got so evil in God's eyes. Matter of fact, he looked around and he said, I wish I wouldn't even done this. They're going to send a flood. And Noah found favor. So Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives went into an ark. And all of mankind was destroyed in the flood. When they came out of that ark, God gave them instructions to be fruitful and multiply. So all of us come from one of the three boys who came from Noah. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it's interesting, I wouldn't build my doctrine on what I'm going to share with you, but a lot of people who do a lot of studies of what words mean think that Noah was very prophetic in the way he named his kids. Ham means black, burnt, hot. Interesting. If those who studied the genetics and their theologians, they would say he was prophetic. This son was very dark, if not black. His son Shem. Well, let's go to Japheth first. Japheth means to enlarge, means very fair, or it means white. Interesting. And then there's Shem. When I was growing up, we had a neighbor who always had a dog, but to make things easy, he always named it the same thing. Puppy. (laughs) Didn't matter how young it was or how old it was or how many different ones he had, they were always just puppy. Japheth, it's kind of like, or excuse me, Shem is kind of like that. Shem, his name means name. Now that might not seem very prophetic or profound, but it is from the lineage of Shem that the name above all names came. You go through his lineage, you will see Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jesus. I don't know that I would build a strong doctrine on those things, but if you look at the genetics and where they went in the geography of the world after the Tower of Babel, remember the story in the Bible that the people were all united, they all spoke the same language, 
They decided to build a, a tower to heaven. God looked at this and said, I don't think so. They're kind of thinking they can do anything, and it looks like they couldn't do anything they put their minds to accomplish. So I'm going to mess with their languages and distribute them throughout the earth. The Tower of Babel. Languages were messed up, and the people went to different areas of the world. Interestingly enough, Ham spent most of his time and most of his descendants in northern Africa. Jim went all over. Japheth, kind of in the north and west Europe. And they were scattered. And I say that to go back to the scripture that I read here. It's Acts 17, 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the faith of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. The times and places where these human beings took up residence was all determined by God. This multinational diversity present in the world today is not by accident. It was designed by God. Part of his plan. I could go on and read a number of other scriptures. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to read them all. You know, I was sharing with Casey as we were talking this week, it was kind of like it should be a no-brainer for us as Christians, right? Jesus died for all mankind. In the image of God, we are all created. Everybody's a descendant of Adam and Eve. There's many scriptures. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's never slave. There's never free. There's never rich. There's, never, there's none of these things in the kingdom of God. I do want to read from Revelations 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, This is this crowd gathered together in heaven. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nations. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. There will be no racism in heaven. And we aren't going to all look alike. We're going to be men and women of every tongue, tribe, and nation. Living together in perfect unity in the presence of God. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 5. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Jesus is speaking. That you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said, love as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? John 3.16, the most popular scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. That's how he loved us. And he says we are to love the world like he loved us and loves us. I think biblically we can make the really strong, irrefutable, if you would, argument that we are all one race biologically. 
But it's interesting in the scripture, it does seem that there's two races. And this is an important thing for us to remember. Because it should impact the way that we relate to all people. They're not biological races, they're spiritual races. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One biological race, but there's two spiritual races. There are the redeemed and the unredeemed. How should this impact us, even as part of the Great Commission? We need to understand, as we relate to the unredeemed, we need to relate in such a way that we can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may become a part of the redeemed race. And you're not going to do that spewing hate, bigotry, racism, whatever. You can't. We need to engage in dialogue with people that are different from us, especially the unbelievers. We need to engage in dialogue when it comes to race with the idea of how do we represent and share the good news of Christ with people. We need to remember that racism of any kind at any level is sin. How is it sin? Boy, just pick away. God created all men in his image. We're being racist towards people that God created in his image. It's all part of his plan. The great commission is to go into all the world. And, of course, the greatest commandment to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Then that little caveat, and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we respond to racism? I'm going to give you five points. You could come up with your own five points, or you could continue on and have many, many points. My first point is this, repentance. Repentance. Do I have any racism in me? Do you have any racism in you? And you know, you, want, you can be any color that God has ever created, any pigmentation of skin, and you can be racist towards any other color. This isn't unique to one particular group of people. Do I have racism in me? I'd like to say I don't think so, but I'd be lying. You may remember a few weeks ago, I used an illustration about a man who came to the church driving a great big old blue Lincoln Continental. Any of you remember that? This is a check. Did you really watch the live stream? Awesome. You know what I had happen? My cousin, the one that comes to church here occasionally when he was here, he's from Idaho. He was here last week and he gets up, he leaves the house, he's going back to Sioux Falls where he's to work at the hospital and he comes back in the door and says, here, and he gives me $60. I said, what's this for? Uh, this is to reimburse the church for helping that guy that had the blue Lincoln Continental. <laughs> I said, thank you. 
Kind of an interesting caveat. I took that $60 and took some other petty cash and we gave it to someone who called us because they had a need. But I tell that story not for the caveats, for this. In my original notes, when I was starting to prepare the sermon and I was writing down that illustration, you know what I wrote down? There was a black man. Driving an old Lincoln Continental, blue Lincoln Continental. And it was like it stopped in my tracks when I reread it. And I said, why did I call him a black man? It has nothing to do with the darn story. Nothing. I wouldn't have said it was a white man. I wouldn't have said it was an Indian. Well, maybe I would have. Why did I say a black man? How many of you could... Go and tell a story. I was in the store, the line at the grocery store, and there was this black lady behind me, and, and her kids were, why would you say black lady? Why not just a lady? Well, I was convicted personally. Yeah, there's times to say a black man or a, a Native American or whatever. There's times, if it has something to do with the context of what I'm telling, but if it had nothing to do with anything, it was just a man. In need. I don't exactly know what the root of that is. I could come up with a lot of ideas in my own life. A pre-judgment without knowing all of the facts. Some sort of prejudice. I know I needed to repent. The good news, that silver lining. The good news about the reality that racism is sin is this. Jesus Christ died to forgive us of our sins. The most racist human being that there ever was could be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, could be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and become the most loving person there ever was by the power of God. I don't know that I've heard any newscasters say this, but I heard a lot of Christians say this, pastors and otherwise. The issue here isn't that we need more laws. Changing the laws do not change the human heart. And the human heart is what needs to change. And as Christians, we should be leading that change. Our hearts need to be broken before God in this area. If there be any racism in us, show it to us and be quick to repent. Number two, since God created all kinds of diversity in the world among his people, differences should be celebrated and not shunned. If God created this wonderful tapestry of all of these different types of people, different heights, different weights, different colored eyes and hairs, different shaped eyes, different shaped noses, different pigmented skin, all of this beautiful tapestry, we should celebrate it and not try to make it all the same by ignoring it and hope that it changes. If diversity is a gift from God, number three, it should be pursued in our lives and in our congregation. Now, in a certain way, we're limited because of our geography, right? I mean, 
We haven't had a lot of exposure until the last decade or two in southwest Minnesota. To anybody but a Norwegian or a German or a Swede from a few generations back, but whatever they were, we all had the same color skin, white. Now, some of you that are quite young, this racism thing might seem like ancient history, but, you know, you don't have to go back very far. When I went to college in 1976 in Madison, South Dakota, there had never been a black person in that college. 1976. Ever. Ever. To integrate it, they went and very carefully recruited a black quarterback. Yeah. Out of Chicago. Who was a brilliant student. Oh yeah, and he wasn't real dark. 1978 is when he came, the first student. Many of us here, and I won't make you declare your age, but I know there's a lot of you here that remember there were colored bathrooms and white bathrooms. Colored was the label. You couldn't sit in a certain seat in the bus, the back seat. If you rode a train, you had to go in the colored car. All of these things. As recently as 1972, a candidate for the President of the United States most famous phrase was this, segregated today, tomorrow, and forever. George Wallace. That's ancient history to some of you young people. But he was running for office when I was graduated from high school. I know I'm old. But seriously, it is that recent. Just think how that affects the mindset of black Americans having this as part of their recent history. We need to do all that we can to have conversations with, begin to know, begin to understand people that are different than us, begin to appreciate this tapestry that God has put together. Be interested in different cultures. Get that different perspective. Number four, in humility, acknowledge that we have blind spots. All of us. God showed me one of mine real good with that guy in the blue Lincoln Continental. Upbringing, social position, etc. cause us to have a certain bias in how we view life. And this often brings us, an in a, with it, an inability to understand another person's point of view. How many of you recognize and know the name T.D. Jakes? Go ahead, raise your hand. I'm going to know who I'm talking to here. Okay, T.D. Jakes. Very well-known author, pastor. He's, his church and his, his ministries feed thousands of people around the world. They dig wells all over the world. He's met with presidents of the United States. Very, very influential black man. To give you an idea of perspective that is so different than mine, he shared a story in one of his messages. He got a phone call from his son. His son had been in a car accident. And his dad says, are you okay? 
And he said, Dad, it was a bad accident. I think I totaled the car. Son, are you okay? Dad, it was a bad accident. I think people in the other car are hurt. Son, are you okay? Yes, Dad, I'm okay. Next words out of his mouth were, don't hang up the phone. Fear filled T.D. Jakes' heart that the cops might kill his son if his son did something wrong. Think about that. A number of years ago, I got a phone call. My son was in a car accident. Should have been killed. But when the call came, I was talking to a nurse. I, I, it never entered my mind that the cops might kill my son. Why would they do that? For me to even begin to understand where T.D. Jakes is coming from. A little bit older guy, he knows. Parents, grandparents. He's been stopped because he's a black man. No other reason. I can't totally understand his perspective. Because I haven't lived it. But hearing him talk about it, trying to relate, trying to understand, makes a difference. We need to acknowledge that we have blind spots. We need to enter into conversation with people to understand. And the fifth one, when we see pain, suffering, or injustice, we need to act in love. I think everybody, most of us, most of us here are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, right? There's a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, very dangerous road. You didn't want to walk it alone. It says a certain man had made this trip and evidently tried to make this trip alone and he was attacked by robbers and he was stripped of his clothes and he was beaten and he's laying on the side of the road nearly dead. And Jesus is telling this story because a a law, a lawyer, a student of the law was trying to corner him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when he got to the part where he says, and love your neighbor as yourself, the guy said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells this story. And he goes on and says, the first person to come by was a priest, and the priest saw the body laying over there and went to the other side of the road and walked right by. The next person was a Levite, did the same thing and walked right by. And then there's a man called a Samaritan. And it makes a point of telling us he's a Samaritan. The low life in the mind of the Jewish people a man from another country, Samaria. And he went over and he cared for the man, anointed his body with oil, bandaged his wounds, picked him up and put him on his his animal, took him to the nearest little village in Jericho and found a place in the hotel for him in the inn and told the the inn owner, it says he took care of him while there and then he told the inn inn owner, I'm going to give you a couple denarii and if it takes more than that, you take care of him and I'll come back and pay whatever needs to be paid. And Jesus said, that's your neighbor. Who's our neighbor? 
Jesus, when he told this story, said the one who was your neighbor was the one who showed mercy. And then he said, go and do likewise. That would be and should be our instruction as Christians with a biblical worldview. Show mercy. Go and do likewise. We need to try, even though we may never completely understand the source of pain we see in others, whoever they are. But as Christians, we need to first love these people, have conversations with people, try to understand where they're coming from, and then do whatever we can to show God's love and God's mercy towards them. If we're a people who look at the world, look at other people through the lens of the Bible and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our hearts will change. Then we will be able to be those who can try to help change the hearts of other people. God's plan was obviously very creative. And one day when we're in heaven, we're going to be gathered together with people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation of the earth, rejoicing. The river of God is going to be a colorful river. The worship team would come up and close with a prayer and a song and worship. Father, I pray that as we see what's going on in the world around us, Father, we would be quick to look at your word. That we would be people who would have a worldview through the lens of the Bible. Father, that we would be a people who would be that neighbor. Story of the Good Samaritan. That we would be a people who would be open to your Holy Spirit revealing those areas of our life where there may be prejudices where our way of looking at something may be askewed because of blind spots in our own life. God, that we would be able to experience in a greater way the amazing tapestry of life that you created and surround us with. That we might look forward to an even greater, a sinless, time of rejoicing and worship with people of every tribe and tongue and nation. Let's stand together if we're able and close with this song. And I told Sam it's a little bit of a heavy message for such a fun song, but there's lots of room in the rows now so you can take advantage of that. <laughs> Let's put our hands together for this last one.